the indies we're going to be touching what i guess we could call the alternative to wwe that's right all those places out there all the little companies that some people think of as the feeder system some of them think now are starting to become their own thing there are so many stars who are showing that you know it used to be that if you wanted to be the big name you had to go to wwe but now there is a whole bunch of guys who are making just as much money making just as much waves just doing their own thing across the indies. And we thought, what a great time this is to cover the indies. And, of course, I can't cover every single independent promotion out there. There are so many. But we're going to try and cover the bigger ones and give you fans a bit of an insight and, and a little bit of a nudge of where you can look to see what's going on out there. I'd like to start off with my rumblings today. Rumblings usually talks about rumors, it talks about the news, and it talks about injuries. This week in news, the first news item really makes me shake my head a little bit. Conan. Do you guys remember Conan? The former luchador wrestler from Mexico. He was uh, considered Mexico's greatest draw. I've heard that for many years. I mean, the guy has been in the business for over 30 years. He hasn't wrestled much in the last couple. And he hasn't had like a full-time schedule in years. Um, He is getting a title shot at the MLW champion low-key in Miami next year, in January 5th, I believe. And this boggles my mind. Loki, who is one of the most brutal of uh, stiff wrestlers out there, most guys will tell you fighting him is fighting a battle. Loki has always made himself uh, the samurai of wrestling. He believes in honor and he believes in hard hitting and he believes in all this stuff, but he's also one of the most scary and stiff wrestlers out there. And if you wonder what stiff means, it means when he hits you, you feel it. So I don't understand why Conan, who has barely stepped in the ring in so long, is going to take this opportunity to get his butt handed to him. I'm, I'm not sure what the thinking is there, but I am going to give Conan some props. This man in his career has been known to be one of the most unpredictable people in front of the ring and in the backstage. He's always been a bit of a, well, more than a bit. He's been like a big political motivator. He's a guy who knows how to make things happen. So it'll be interesting to see what exactly happens in this match. If this is a straight up match, I can't see Loki losing to Conan, but uh, I think Conan is going to come with a lot of tricks. A lot of tricks in his bag. and it's I'm actually going to watch this. Next up, how about Jay Lethal? Resigning with ROH. Now, this, I think, is important. Now, it's been talked about all year how the elite, we're talking about guys like the Young Bucks, Cody Rhodes, Adam Page, um, Kenny Omega. These guys are not going to be resigning. And I guess Marty Skrull, if you count him in there, the sixth. These guys have all said they are not going to resign with ROH. Having Jay Lethal, who is their current champion, resign with them, his contract was up at the end of the year. 
this is a massive thing. It's big in the sense because, yes, ROH has survived many people leaving over the years. But to lose five or six big-name guys in one shot, that's devastating for any roster. So to hold on Jay Lethal, well, that's good because I think I think if they lost Jay Lethal, who, who does that leave you? I mean, yes, there are still great wrestlers up there and guys can rise to the top. But in the minds of the fans, those five or six guys were considered the top and Jay Lethal. So... It's good to see that ROH isn't going to go into the new year with a total death knell behind them. I think uh, signing Lethal, great idea, and grateful Lethal. I mean, Lethal has been one of the most consistent ROH uh, competitors in years. Now, rumors. In the rumors section, the biggest rumor, and I've looked around, there is no confirmation, so we're going to keep this as a rumor, involves an Impact Wrestling, the OGs. Now, the OGs, you remember them, they are, ironically, Conan was with the OGs at one time, but is the reason the OGs formed. The current OGs were Hernandez and Homicide. Those guys were the original LAX with Conan. Now, they had come back after Conan had had reinvented a team and called them LAX, and that's the team of Santana and Ortiz, two great uh, Latino wrestlers who have been fighting uh, all across the Northeast. They come together under Conan's banner, and they had a lot of success as LAX. So what happens when the original LAX, Homicide, and Hernandez comes back? They are extremely mad at Conan and brought with them their leader, Eddie Kingston. Well, the three of these guys had been waging war, calling themselves the OGs, the original gangsters, the original LAX. They've been waging war with Conan's group of LAX for quite a while. However, recently, they've seemed to have disappeared off the, off the, off the whole radar. Nobody knows where they've gone. They have not shown up on Impact Television, and they have not shown up on Impact Matches. So it leaves people to wonder what's going on. A lot of the rumor is that these guys have decided not to re-sign. However, there are other rumors that Impact may not have wanted to re-sign them to begin with. It's kind of a his or her thing, because when you look at it, these guys have reputations. Eddie Kingston, um, Homicide especially, Hernandez maybe not so much, but these guys have a reputation of being a little bit hard to deal with, being very straightforward, being very direct of what they want, sometimes not jibing with what the company wants. So all I can say at this moment is they're not an Impact. So whether it's they've decided not to return after their contracts were done or Impact hasn't re-signed them, the rumor is they're not coming back. So we'll have to look forward to that and see. Now it's time for New Japan point of view. Right now, New Japan is doing something really unique. And I say unique in the sense that tag team wrestling has become a dying sport. Over the years, I mean, it's been a good 15 years since tag teams really, really meant something. It seems like uh, in the big leagues, tag teams tend to either be guys just thrown together, two big name guys, or they bring in tag teams and they build them up and then they have the champion destroy them. There was a time where tag teams were the thing. A tag team could take out two guys, or not two guys, could take out a single champion. You don't see that much in the big leagues, but these days, there are lots of great tag teams floating out there, but you don't get to see them a lot. Some companies have them as a second thought. I've seen many independent companies where you're lucky if there is three good, solid tag teams. You have four or five, you got gold. It seems tag teams have been devalued. Tag team championships have ended up on pre-shows in the major pay- pay-per-views. But 
New Japan has a thing where they call the World Tag League. And basically, it's a little bit like what we talked about with the G1. They bring in 14 tag teams from around the world. Some of them are regular competitors. Some are some special American teams brought in. These 14 teams fight each other over a bunch of nights in a point system. It's basically a big round robin. At the end of this ma- at the end of the standings, the team with the most points will go on to be the number one contenders for the tag team belts and go on to Wrestle Kingdom, which is we've talked about before, the WrestleMania of New Japan. They go on to um, fight at Wrestle Kingdom, which is the biggest thing in indie wrestling. So, out of these teams, though, just like in the G1, there is also the tag team champions who are entered into this tournament. They go through the tournament. If they end up winning the tournament, they get to handpick whatever team they want to face at Wrestle Kingdom. So today, I thought we'd just take a quick look at three... Well, let's take a look at four of the tag teams entered uh, in this in this week's uh, breakdown. First of all, the team I think is really the team to watch for is the Killer Elite Squad, made up of Davy Boy Smith Jr. and Lance Archer. Now, anyone in the Vin- Indies have known that Davy Boy Smith Jr., six foot seven. Uh, 260 pounds, 280 pounds. He is massive. And in Japan, even more so. He towers over a lot of the teams. And his tag team partner, Lance Archer, back in the old TNA Impact days, used to be uh, one of the mainstays there with Kid Cash. Lance Archer is a giant too. So here you have these two humongously tall, strong, scary looking guys who hit hard. And if you know Davey Boy Smith Jr., he is a grappler and he's also an MMA fighter. He fights in Japan for uh, real MMA uh, companies out there. So he does it all. He's mixed martial arts and he's six foot eight or six foot seven or something like that. He's humongous. I've met him a few times. I've talked with him. He's a really nice guy. He's the son of former WWE legend Davey Boy Smith. And this team of him and Archer, for me, I think that they are probably one of the favorites to win the World Tag League. They belong, of course, to the faction known as Suzuki Goon, who Suzuki Goon has three teams entered into this tournament. And over the next couple weeks, we'll talk about some of the other teams. I'm not going to talk about any of them today, but that's the first team to look at. The second team, um, you know, each tournament, these guys, I give them a half chance because they're one of those veteran teams. You know, the guys who've been around for a while and they're always dangerous. Well, they're the team of Tenkozy. That's a Toshi Kojima and Hiroshi Tenzon. Tenzon, he has been around for 20, 25 years in New Japan. He is a legend. Kojima has won the G1 a couple times. They are considered... Well, the thing that they work is imagine you get two guys of almost legendary stature who work together as a team. They put aside their egos and they go in there and they fight as a well-oiled machine. That in itself is incredible. Um, Tenzon, he's been on the, you know, off and on with slight injuries, maybe not looking his best of days, but Kojima, who we're going to actually talk to about a little bit in another segment later on, but Kojima is definitely one of the more popular guys. Uh, he has this great gimmick called, uh, he's the leader of the bread club. And if anyone follows him on Twitter, he tweets a lot about eating bread. Guy loves it. And I would actually uh, suggest taking a look at his Twitter handle. Kojima is uh, a really fun thing to look at. So Ten Cozy, ten years ago they won. They won the World Tag League. Now they're going in there and uh, they're taking another chance. I'm not sure if I could rate them as in the top three teams, but I would definitely put them in the middle of the pack of this tournament. The third team I want to look at is uh, a team of young lions called Shoto Yamono and Yoto Yoshida. 
these two guys are young lions. And now what young lions are is if you've been watching New Japan, you see these guys who come out all dressed in black all the time. They seem to get beat up a lot. They don't have a lot of moves. They're the trainees of the New Japan Dojo. And uh, they are taught to, well, to take a beating for a long time, first of all. But as they progress and as they get better, they finally will reach a point where they'll be sent off for excursion for a year and then come back as a whole new character. And... Here we have two new guys who are, they're very good up-and-comers. I really enjoy watching them wrestle. They're two young lions that I've really been watching lately. I don't see them as being any kind of actual threat in this tournament, but I think this is a really great step up for them out of the young lions uh, portion of the matches. And it's also a great, I guess, experience maker if getting beat and beat up hard is experience maker, and it is in New Japan, so... They are definitely a great up-and-coming young young Lions team to keep your eye on. The fourth team I want to talk about today, um, people in the Indies and uh, have, have know these guys, and uh, they are tremendous. Two strong, muscular men. We're talking about Michael Elgin and Jeff Cobb. Now, Michael Elgin, the Canadian... I'm going to call him the Canadian tank destroyer because this guy is built like a tank and he is pure destruction. And he looks great out there. He's been doing really well in New Japan. We haven't seen him in the mainland for quite a while. Jeff Cobb, the current ROH television champion, teaming up with him. Jeff Cobb, uh, old friend of mine who I, I met many years ago. This guy, the moment I saw him wrestle, I thought there was something special about him. That was like five years ago, maybe six years ago. Today, he's the ROH TV champion. He is really, he is massively built. Uh, we've talked about him many times. He uh, appears in Lucha Underground as that masked crazy character who uh, Johnny Impact just recently beat on the uh, on the, the Gods match or whatever that was. He is, Matanza, he is, he is something else. Like, he is a former... Olympic champion. He's wrestled for Team Guam, of all places. He now represents himself out of Hawaii. And if you want to see a big man who does such cool technical moves and such great high-flying ability, Jeff Cobb is the guy. So Jeff Cobb and Michael Elgin, two serious contenders for this thing. I'm going to put them near the top. I'm not sure if I'm going to, if I would actually see them uh, going all the way yet. I'm not sure if they have the experience of, say, KES. The Killer Elite Squad is definitely right now in the top of my head. But as the weeks go on, we're going to go over some of the other 14 teams. So those are the first four teams we're looking at. Um, The first night or two had some very interesting matches of the World Tag League. I'm going to talk about them right now. One of the things we've kind of touched upon on New Japan is this whole idea of uh, stables you know factions and they're very bit different from what they are in north america when you're in a faction you guys are together all the time that's true you travel together um sometimes you may come to odds with each other but not usually usually you stay away from each other if your champion happens to be in your stable you don't go after that guy because he's your stable but you'll go after someone else from another stable however one of the most scary stables right now for the last year and a half two years has been suzuki goon now suzuki goon means uh, suzuki army and uh it has a lot of crazy guys led by minoru suzuki who is probably the scariest and you've heard me talk about him before he is a scary scary man he's one of the legitimate men that you know would beat the snot out of you if you got him mad. He's the guy who takes strong style to the ridiculousness as he'll stand there and let you beat him and then turn around, smile, and beat you down harder. He has a faction. Part of the faction is the Killer Elite Squad. 
who we've uh, talked about today, who's entered in there. He he himself is entered in with a guy named Hazuka, who's Azuka is just this nut job who runs around biting people and attacking people. He's like this crazy wild man. They tie up. He has the junior tag team champions. Uh, Karno, boy, talk about messing up their names. El Desperado and Kainobra. Oh my gosh, I keep saying his name so wrong. They're in that uh, Suzuki-gun. So here is where the first night had an incredible matchup for me. You had Azuchka, Suzuki, and El Desperado facing Davey Boy Smith Jr., Lance Archer, and Kananobra. And so you got the junior tag team champions on opposite sides of each other in this thing. And when the bell rang, it turned into your typical Suzuki-Goon match. These guys dragged each other into the audience, into the chairs. And the, t- the junior tag team champions even went at each other hard. There was no holding back. The next night, when it became the official match of Azutka and uh, Suzuki facing off against KES, it was just as hard-hitting. In the end, KES did win the match, but... Uh, it was crazy, man. There was chairs, there was beatings, there was all sorts of stuff. And at the end of the match, as KES is standing there, Minoru Suzuki rolls in the ring and everyone's wondering, okay, is he going to go after him like he goes after everyone else? He goes in, puts his fist up up in the air in salute. They put their fists up together and Suzuki Goon walks off. That, I think, is pretty incredible. Here's a faction who, uh, they stick together hard. They're all about beating up people, but they're not about, they're not above beating each other up for the big matches. I found that pretty cool. So the World Tag League will be going on. We'll be talking more and more updates about it. It's the big news that's going around before we get into any single stuff. Impact POV. Boy, Impact, you know, the show has been getting better. And that's what I find very sad is they've got this horrible time slot now. A lot less viewers watching them, but they are cranking out some good matches. This week's episode had some good things. It had some bad things. Some things make me really go, yes. You know, Impact's really going on a on a really good tear. And then I see some of these things and I'm just like, oh, why do they face into that? And we'll go over some of those things. But let's talk really quickly about what happened this week. Uh, Tessa Blanchard putting her belt up against Ray Lynn. Basically kind of a squash match. Afterwards, she goes out and starts talking some crap about former challenger Taya Valkyrie. Taya comes out. And it gets in her face, and we find out that they're going to fight each other one more time in January at Homecoming. So that'll be something to look into. Uh, a weird storyline with KM and uh, Falaba deciding that they're going to try and win a match against champions LAX to show Scarlet Bordeaux that they can win big. Uh, as you can imagine, LAX pretty much squashed them. There was some really cool stuff from Falaba for a second. I've been a little bit hard on Falaba because he looks like a. He looks like a ball. Sometimes I just want to call him Fall a Balla because he's like a round, dumpy ball. He looks like a sumu, but like a short sumu. So sometimes it's been hard for me to take him seriously with his characterizations. But this week, he pulled off a few really exciting moves. I mean, there are some things he did in this match that I, I urge you people to check out, including a kind of roll-in kick thing that I would not expect from him, let alone a guy who was athletically big as him to do. So that was something pretty cool to see. LAX showing their uh, well, their domination right now of uh, the impact. But later on in a segment, they asked Conan if they could put their belts up against the Lucha Brothers, Pentagon Jr. and Phoenix. Conan was not too happy about that. He kind of, uh, he said, you know what, I don't think it's a good idea. And LAX just couldn't understand why. So I think that's something we can look forward in the future. LA, <clears throat> Eli Drake comes out. 
talks about why he grabbed Joseph Park last week, beat him up, and did all this thing. Then he went into this whole kind of um, snotty, egotistical sort of thing where he talked about how he was a real wrestler and that Abyss was just hardcore garbage and that all hardcore garbage and all hardcore wrestling was just garbage. And in some aspects, I'm not a fan of death matches and some of the really gross hardcore, but I understand, you know, the hardcore aspect of matches and things. Uh, this brought out Tommy Dreamer, who took it as an offense that Eli Drake would be saying these things, got into Eli Drake's face, talked a bit, then took off his jacket to challenge Eli, and Eli backed out. So let's look for a Tommy Dreamer, Eli Drake thing in the near future. In our next matchup, Johnny Impact taking on Matt Seidel. Uh, this is for the Impact World Belt. Johnny Impact beats him. It's a so-so match, you know. Um, I've always had my problems with Johnny Impact because, in my mind, he's a great wrestler. I don't really see him as a great champion. So, he just, and I just mean the fact that it's hard for me to buy him as the uh, champion. He just, there's something about him that just kind of screams tag team or junior champion or something. But he's been having some great matches in uh, Impact. Matt Seidel, we all remember him as Airborne or Evenborn out of WWE. Uh, Matt Seidel, longtime Ring of Honor wrestler, put on a great match. Um, it was, well, I say great in his aspect was great. I say so-so because in the overall aspect, it wasn't all that exciting of a match. Uh, Johnny Impact wins it. Out comes Killer Cross, the guy he fought last week uh, to uh, a tremendous battle, who we still were hard on, but at least Killer Cross gave him a little bit more of a challenge. Killer Cross comes out and says to him, ready for this? Not that he wants to fight him, but that he wants to be Johnny Impact's friend. Wow, where is that storyline going? That's going to be interesting. Killer Cross offering his services to protect Johnny from behind, and Johnny saying, you know what? I don't trust you. I don't trust you with my wife, and I don't trust you with my dog. If you can't trust a guy with your dog, I don't think you're going to trust him with your belt. So I still see Killer Cross and Johnny Impact in the future going head-to-head. Got a backstage segment with Jordan Grace. Jordan, as you, many people know, I've been a big fan for a very long time. She's out there. She's a new signee to Impact. She's in there working out. Katrina comes in, says, "Hey, that was you know a lot of people don't like me, and I think and I think here Katrina was trying to hint that maybe we should uh, team together, and instead she mentions that you know she did really well with Jordan Grace. So Jordan Grace says, "Oh, good. Then we'll ref- we fight each other again in two weeks," and then left her there standing, realizing that she may have stuck her foot in her mouth. The main event comes in and a a feud that I'm not. I'm glad that is. This is probably the end of uh, Brian Cage putting his X division title against Sammy Callahan. Now we've been watching for weeks Sammy Callahan and Ove. Who I am not fans of these guys at all. I don't. I don't see what people. Some people see in these guys. To me, they're very generic. Sammy Callahan is this sort of uh, very violent, small, tubby guy. I, I don't. I don't buy him as any kind of threat in any kind of company. And Brian Cage, they call him like the machine because the guy's built like a, a machine. It's scary big. It's scary big. Um, they finally have this uh, this blow-off match. And uh, in the end, of course, Brian Cage wins after some shenanigans by OVE, who finally get ejected. But he wins the match. As he's standing over there, he grabs the mic, and he says that he is cashing in his X Division title for option C. And fans of Impact know that option C means a champion can cash in his Impact Championship for a title shot at the world title. So let's look for Brian Cage taking a run at our good friend Johnny Impact on upcoming episodes.
ROH, Ring of Honor. It's time for the honor roll. This week we had some really cool stuff. Um, the matches, there were only two matches on this week's episode. And unfortunately, if you've been following the pay-per-views, you kind of know the results of them. But we're going to talk a bit about them because they were fun and exciting. The first match had Hurricane Shane Helms, remember him? Uh, taking on Marty Skrull, the villain, in a no-disqualification match. And this match had some really interesting things happen in it. Things that I kind of cringe, things that made me go, ooh. Um, for example, uh, there was lots of... Uh, Table table shenanigans. We had um, we had Marty Skrull take Shane Helms and do a Death Valley Driver off the ring apron into a table on the floor. But for me, the grossest part of the match came when Marty Skrull brought out a bunch of tacks, like you know, a bag of tacks, throws them all over the ring, and proceeds to try and dump um, Shane Helms into it. It ends up, of course, it happens a lot when the villain does it. He ends up landing in the tax gets a whole back full of tax uh which roh uh skillfully and tastefully um scrambled it so you couldn't really see the thing but you knew it's there then probably one of for me one of the i'm gonna have to say the top five disgusting things i've seen in wrestling um marty scroll grabs a handful of uh tax sticks them into shane's mouth and then super kicks shane in the face why on earth anyone would even think of doing something like this is beyond me in the end, uh, Shane gets decimated, loses the match. This was part of the setup for him to lose. I'm not sure if this feud goes on. I'm not sure. You know, uh, Marty's got two matches up now on uh, on Shane. Shane took a humongous beating here. I'm not sure if Hurricane Helms really wants to go further with this. We had a bit of a segment in the beginning of the match, before all the matches started, where uh, Dalton Castle came out and he was talking. And out comes Matt Taven. Oh my goodness, Matt Taven. Never sure what I will think about Matt Taven. Every time I think I start to like him, he does something ridiculous. His newest gimmick, walking around with a reproduction of the ROH champion, calling himself the real ROH champion. Uh, makes him look like a fool, gives him lots of heel heat, and I'm pretty sure down the line, Jay Lethal is probably going to kick that belt right through his face, and all of us are going to enjoy it. But tonight, he comes out and he talks to Dalton Castle, and he promises Dalton Castle that he will never let Dalton Castle even get a sniff at the world's title. So, obviously a big feud going on with Dalton Castle and our good friend Matt Taven. And I say good friend in a very, well, sarcastic way. Moving on, though. Oh, and I said moving on. Darn it. Let's look at our next match. Briscoes putting up their titles against the Young Bucks and SoCal U. Now, SoCal United have been, I got to say, I'm glad. They, we know they're the champions now. We know going into this episode that they'd won the belts already because they defended it, you know, a week ago, two weeks ago on the pay-per-view. And that's just how ROH TV lays out their stuff. Unfortunately, uh, the pay-per-views come out and they're ahead of the TV show. So sometimes you'll see things building on the pay- on the TV show that have already happened on the pay-per-view. But this was a tremendous match to finally see SoCal U actually win these belts. Briscoes were the defending champions coming in, and they are they are like hmm, how would you say like a flock of flock of angry birds or locusts coming in and destroying everything in their path. And that's what they've been doing lately. Um, the Young Bucks always fun a super kick party to go around. 
But the team I really am really digging right now is SoCal U. Uh, the team of Frankie Kazarian and uh, Scorpio Sky, is, they're amazing. Together, these guys gel so well. It seems like Scorpio Sky has awakened something in SoCal U that, that these guys have, are having so much more fun. Christopher Daniels has finally come out of the dark side. They're really have come together as a three-man unit and talk about a great chance for Scorpio Sky. This guy is tremendous. You know, I met him a few years back and uh, he's a guy that I looked at him and I thought, oh, why hasn't this guy hit the hit the big time? And it's been 16 years that he's been floating around the Indies before he finally got a big break to go into ROH and he has been delivering. Tremendous match with these guys, lots of back and forth stuff and tremendous amount of double team showing you how exciting tag teams can be. The Young Bucks are a great example. The Briscoes and now SoCal U. These are guys who are great units. And it's good to see that it's good to see that uh, tag team wrestling isn't going to die out. It may not be so big in the big leagues, but on the independent levels, tag team wrestling is an art that is, well, it's pretty remarkable. Rev Pro POV. That's right. We're going to go to England now to check a look at Rev Pro. Now, I know a lot of people have heard about Revolution Pro. We've heard whispers about them. Not a lot of people have been covering them, but I thought I would take a look at their um, their pay-per-view called Uprising. And it ha- I'm going to just concentrate on three matches that I've seen. Um, it is only a weird thing that, yes, some of these guys also compete in New Japan. <coughs> Excuse me. Some of these people do co- compete in New Japan, but uh, here are three great matches that I saw on Rev Pro Rise Uprising. And if you guys want to check it out, please do. It's available out there. One of the first matches had El Fantasmo defeating El Desperado. Now, here's two guys with L's in the name and very much different. El Desperado we know as one of the uh, standouts in the junior heavyweight division in New Japan. He's a masked Japanese wrestler with a luchador style. And El Fantasmo. Now, I've known El Fantasmo a couple of years. He's a Canadian from Western Canada. and He's been through this area many times. I've talked with him many times. I've watched him wrestle. And it's great to see him going even further. His gimmick is sort of that of the crazy rave guy. You know, the music goes all crazy. He has the glow sticks, the light-up stuff. His music's like mind-numbingly crazy. And then he gets in there and he does some incredible moves. He's very fluid, very innovative in his high-flying moves. This was a tremendous match. All through the thing, I had no idea who was going to win this match. They were so close with each other. Just about every counter going on. Um, I thought maybe, you know, I hadn't I hadn't realized Al Fantasmo has been wrestling for Rev Pro for a while now. I wasn't sure what his status was. I wasn't sure who was going to go out. But he did end up winning and beating El Desperado in just a tremendously fun match. The second match I want to talk about. There's this guy in the independence that's been a lot of times in Europe, comes in in uh, the States a lot. His name is Walter. And I know Walter just sounds like, what, Walter? Walter looks like Nikolai Volkov's build, only heavier. He's a humongously big 280-pound man who isn't he isn't cut, but he also isn't fat. He's that sort of throwback to the wrestlers of the 70s who look like the big barrel-chested men who you knew were tough. And Walter, he is tough. But going up against Satoshi Kojima, yes, of Tenkozi, who we talked about earlier, Kojima getting in this match, and I gotta tell you, Walter has been on a great across the Indies. He has not lost very many matches, and he's really gearing himself up for championships everywhere. Even has been talked about that the WWE has shown much interest in Walter, but Walter has no interest in the WWE. He says he doesn't want to go onto that kind of schedule and rather spend time with his family and stay what he does now. So here we are, Kojima, the, the leader of the Brad Club, going up against Walter. 
tremendous hard-hitting match between two guys who do a lot. They stood and took turns chopping the crap out of each other to see who could take it the most. In the end, Kojima getting the surprise win. Got to tell you, I did not see that coming. Definitely a great match to check out. And then the main event match, they'd been talking about this one for a while. David Starr getting a title shot against Tomohiro Ishii. Ishii, who is another um, New, New Japan wrestler, who is the current Rev Pro heavyweight champion, having beat Minoru Suzuki, of all people. We talked about him last week fighting uh, Minoru Suzuki in Japan. This time he puts his belt up against David Starr. David Starr, who is the light heavyweight champion in Rev Pro, trying to get that sort of uh, jump up. You know, not It wasn't title versus title, obviously, because... Uh, Ishii uh, is a little too heavy for the junior heavyweights, but tremendous battle, uh, came very close. But once again, Ishii showing that he is probably the hardest-hitting, scary, whack-you-in-the-face kind of guy that there is out there. Really enjoyed this. RevPro is definitely something we're going to keep covering in the future. It comes out of England. Yes, there's Japanese wrestlers, Canadian wrestlers, American wrestlers, but we're also going to concentrate on some of the British wrestlers that come out of there. So this has been a, a really great episode. I know we usually have a face-off. Um... This week, it's kind of, I'm not schizophrenic enough to do a face-off with myself. I'm sure, you know, I probably could, but I don't want to prove that to the doctors and have them take me out. So we will not be having a face-off this week, but you know what? There are many good things coming. There is some great stuff on the horizon. We've got some exciting new changes here to wrestling uh, POV Global. I'm glad you're sticking with us where it's going to get funner. I have a feeling that, uh, I'm not going to say who it is, but I've got a guest host coming up next week who I think is going to, uh, well, I think he's going to throw a little bit of fun and a little craziness in this crazy world we call indie wrestling. So fans, please uh, feel free to join in. Look up on Facebook. Look up Wrestling POV Podcast. Look us up on Spotify. Look us up on iTunes. You know, not just the global show. Those guys over at uh, Wrestling POV Podcast, they have a great look at the WWE every week. That's fun. It's a, it's a four-man crew that'll make you... You know, we've had Rick Serrano the third already on our first episode. We tend to have much more fun as the days go by. Check them out. Check us out. And fans, check out the indies. Lots of great wrestling going on. Thank you.